thing happened except with fire devils. So pieces of burning debris were picked up and thrown through the air, lighting even more buildings on fire. The city went crazy for three days. The fire wasn't stopped until after 26 hours of burning through. And even, by, even that only happened by the grace of God and the rain that came. So this city was laid waste. They estimate somewhere around $200 million, $200 million worth of damage was done. 300 people were killed that day. So the city lie in ruin, in rubble. But the people came together and said, we are going to rebuild. We will have our city again. So they began work. The, the martial law was, uh, was enacted three days after the fire, after all of the looting had gone on. Martial law continued for about a month. In that time, they quickly got uh, architects, masons, all types of people to come together to rebuild this great city that we call home. But they rushed it. They were, so, they were so focused on getting back to where they were that they didn't think things through. There were a few laws that were enacted to um, require fireproofing and things like that, but that was expensive and time-consuming. They wanted their city back. So they rushed the process, and that went on for about three or four years, building up back what they had lost. And then it stopped. The rebuilding stopped because... One, a bank collapsed, causing a depression that was nationwide, not just in the city. So the money ran out. And then second, another fire came. Because they hadn't heeded the first one. They took shortcuts. They didn't think through the realities of what they were undertaking. The second fire burnt through 800 buildings. Not as significant as the 17,000, but that's 800 buildings. Still homeless people. 60 acres of land burnt to a crisp. Because they didn't prepare. Because they didn't use the resources of everybody. They had masons. They brought in masons, but they weren't using it because it was too expensive. The architects, oftentimes they would be building before the architect had even finished the designs for the building. So you can imagine he had like half a drawing. So it's like, here's half the building. And they're like, all right, let's build it. And he hadn't even finished to make sure that it was going to be structurally sound and, and able to withstand another fire or any other tragedy. So the second fire happens, and this time they realize we can't just haphazardly run through this. We can't just build at random. We need to think. We need to prepare. We need to use everybody's skills, everybody's abilities, and make sure that we can build this city in a way that can withstand anything like this again. And we have now our beautiful city, built primarily with, uh, with steel structures so that it wouldn't be based on wood and capable of burning again. And we have now one of the most incredible cities in the world, one of the most beautiful and architecturally diverse cities in the world. But it came out of the ashes. It came out of the rubble that was created by a fire that destroyed. This morning we're going to look at Nehemiah 2, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, Nehemiah 2, starting in verse 9. 
If you weren't here last week, uh, I'll recap the story so that you know where we are before we jump in. Nehemiah is a prophet of God. He is also the cupbearer to the king, the king of Persia. He, as, he's, um, as he's fulfilling his duties, he, he finds out that Jerusalem has been destroyed. This is his home. This is his people. And the walls of, of Jerusalem have been demolished. And when he hears this, he falls on his knees and he weeps for his people who are now in shame because of this. He falls on his knees, he weeps, and he prays for an opportunity to rebuild. And during this time, he's thinking through, how can I enact this change, this rebuilding of my people, of our land, of our home? He prays for four months, and then he gets the opportunity. King Artaxerxes uh, sees that he's sad when he brings his wine. And he asks, why are you sad? What, what's the matter? Nehemiah even though he was fearful in this moment, because this is a question that if he answers wrongly, he could potentially be killed, or at least thrown into prison. He says, why wouldn't I be? My people are in ruin. Jerusalem lies in rubble. So the king says, what do you, what do you want? What are you asking for? And he says, let me go. I want to go and rebuild. And if, if I go, would you send with me letters Letters to your governors so that they would allow me passage and that they would give me the materials that I need so that we can build our, 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 um, our walls again. It's interesting. The first thing that Artaxerxes asks after that is, how long are you going to be gone? And I mean, if you had to sit there and think about it, like, well, we're going to build a big wall. I don't know, a couple of years, maybe? No, he had an answer. Because he'd been thinking about it. Because he'd been preparing. Because he had uh, analyzed every opportunity. He was, he was thinking about the damage that had been done, the people that he was going to have at his disposal, the travel to Jerusalem. And he knew and was able to answer. And when he did, the king said, all right, here are the letters, go. We know from later on in the, in the book that it ended up taking 12 years. So the king was okay with a 12-year trip to go rebuild his home. So this is where we start. 2 verse 9. Read with me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king sent me with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat and Hornite, sorry, Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one in which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. But then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision or shame. 
And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the king who had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat and the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us. They despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will rise. We will build, but you will have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. This story is incredible. And it matches up a lot with the Chicago fire story. There is this city that lies in ruin. That needs rebuilding. But there's a way in which we do that. There's a way in which we need to proceed in rebuilding Jerusalem. And for us, rebuilding CF. Christian fellowship. Just like in the Chicago fire, there was an earlier attempt to rebuild Jerusalem. In Ezra, we see that they attempted to rebuild and were seen as rebelling against the king, and so the king stopped it. That's why there's that comment at the end. Are you rebelling? Implying that they are doing the same thing as the last one, and something more of a threat, really. We're going to tell the king that you're rebelling so that it'll stop. As we look at this story, I want us to see three different things. First, I want us to realize that when God invites us to rebuild, we have to prepare for that project. We need to think through the realities of what it's going to cost us, how we're going to go about it, what's the wisest way to go about rebuilding. The second is that we need to unite as one people, one body of Christ moving forward in this project. And then the third is standing strong in the face of opposition, knowing that God is for us. The God of creation, the God of all the universe, is on our side, is behind us, is supporting us, is providing for us. So let's look. We're going to start in verse 11. It's the first thing that we're going to look at is that as God invites us to rebuild, we must prepare. So Nehemiah had spent four months traveling to Jerusalem. You can, you can imagine, he spent four months praying about it, four months traveling. He's ready to do the work. <laughs> He's ready to rebuild. But he doesn't allow his zeal to overcome his wisdom. He realizes that he's tired. He's pushed through at an incredible rate to get there in four months. So he takes three days to rest, to physically prepare for the work that's coming. So we must rest and, and take account of where we are personally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Where are we? And get ourselves ready so that we can start this work. When God invites us to rebuild, we must prepare by resting. But we also need to assess the job that's coming forward. We can't just jump in and say, like, we're going to give everything that we have. I don't know what we're doing. Nehemiah prepared. Verses 12 through 15. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me. I told no one of what my God had put on my heart. And we went by the night to the valley gate. We inspected. I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, even to the place where my animal couldn't go. I went by night to the valley. I inspected the wall. He went to see it first for his own eyes. First, he needed to see it. It's like, I, 
I've heard, but I need to see what we're up against. He was taking a realistic look at the job that was in front of him. He wasn't just saying, let's rebuild. And he had no idea. He had gone in the middle of the night, so you can imagine this picture. Uh, it's the middle of the night. Obviously, if he's inspecting the wall, he has to be able to see. They don't have flashlights like we do. <laughs> so, moonlit night, and he's looking at this expanse of about a mile and a half of wall that's lying in rubble. So you can imagine jagged pieces of stone that have been ripped apart, burned. He's, he's looking through all of this. At one point it says that the donkey couldn't even follow. That's how, how broken this wall was. He's assessing the job that needs to be done. He's realizing that to build this wall, it's not just um, a tiny little wall, so something similar to like this. So it's like you know four or five feet wall, high, um, the banner that we have right there. It's a wall that would be three to four feet thick, 20 to 25 feet high. And he wants to place it where the old one is, which means either excavating or repurposing the, the wall that's already there. This is a big job. It took them 12 years. But he's taking that into account. He's assessing the job that needs to be done. He's figuring out, what all are we going to have to do? This is something at CF that we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking as a leadership. We've had you guys come, and we're trying to talk through, what does CF need? What, are, what, is the, what is the job at hand? That's what the town hall meetings have been about. Let's get your ideas. Let's see where we have cracks and breaks in our wall and figure out how we can fix it, what it's going to cost to fix it. So as we prepare, we have to assess where we are, assess what the job is, and then we also need to be wise about how we go about it. You notice he, Nehemiah goes up in the middle of the night. Why does he go in the middle of the night? Well, he goes because he doesn't want his enemies the people who were grumbling, the people who were grieved by the fact that he was there, he doesn't want them knowing what he's doing. Not only that, but he circles all the way this, around this mile and a half and comes back through the same gate just so that his enemies won't know where he went when he left. He used wisdom because the last time, the enemy knew and the enemy stopped it. So he took time to think through and use wisdom in preparing. So when God invites us to rebuild, to rebuild our lives, to rebuild our church, to rebuild our city, we need to prepare for that. To take into account everything that that's going to cost us. Prepare. The second thing that God calls us to do when we're rebuilding is to unite as one people. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also for the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. First, who are these people? Well, we see that in 16. It's the priests, the Jews, the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people who are going to do the work. He didn't pick who he was going to use. He used everyone. 
Because everyone had something to offer. Everyone had an ability. Everyone had a gift. Everyone had materials. Everyone had something that they could contribute to this rebuilding of the wall. God calls us to unite together as one people when we rebuild. It's not a single effort. It's not just on Tim, our pastor. It's not just on the other leaders in this church. It's on all of us to come together as one body so that we can bear the weight together of what this is going to cost so that we can also revel in the joy together as one family. We are the children of God. We are the bride of Christ. We are one. We aren't a collection of individuals who, who come into a building. We are one body who come together to edify one another, to encourage one another, to hold up each other when it gets hard. We must unite, and to unite, we come together. We choose to see each other and to treat each other as family. Putting up with the things we don't like and embracing the things we love in people. Encouraging each other in the faith. The other thing is coming together to work. We must offer of ourselves. They said, let us rise up and build. They didn't say, let us go and sit in the city. <laughs> they said, let us go and build it so that we can be a great nation once again. In the same way, CF. Let us not just be a people who come to the church and sit in the pews, but be a people as we are beginning to grow into. Be a people who offer what we have. It may be a lot and it may be a little, but everything goes into building that wall building this church again into the greatness that it can be. The great lighthouse to this neighborhood that so desperately needs it. So God, when He invites us to rebuild, He's inviting us to prepare, to be ready for it, to unite as one people, as one body. And then the third thing we have to do is stand firm when opposition comes. Because it does. Verse 19, look at it with me. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us. And they said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? This was an open threat. They had seen the people of Israel crushed by the Persian army once and they were threatening to do it again. But notice how Nehemiah answers. One, he doesn't depend on the king's permission, which he has. He has the king's blessing for this endeavor. He points to God. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you will have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. We can stand firm in the face of opposition knowing that the God of the universe is on our side. The God who knits you and me together in our mother's womb, the one who knows us perfectly and completely, is for the rebuilding of this church, the rebuilding of this people. 
So to stand strong, we must address opposition with trust in God. But there's a second thing. As you'll see in the, in the next chapter next week, they continued on in the work. They had these threats. They weren't liked. <laughs> and to give you an idea of how much they weren't liked, Sanballat is a Samaritan. So if you're familiar at all with uh, Bible stories, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Not just kind of, like a lot. They weren't people who got together. So there's a deep-rooted hatred for what Nehemiah is doing here. When God chooses to work and His people choose to be a part of that work, Satan attacks us. I was listening to a sermon um, and he, the, the pastor said, the devil never shoots uh, at people who are standing still. He only shoots at moving targets. I sat there and I thought about it and I was like, what, is that, what does that even mean? Um, and then I realized the devil has no reason to shoot you if you're standing still and doing the same old, same old. Because the kingdom isn't growing. You're of no threat to him. We are no threat to him when we stand still. But as soon as we move, as soon as we begin to take steps forward in the creation of God's kingdom, he's going to take shots at us. There's going to be people who want to stand in the way. But we know that God is for us. And when we know that God is for us, we have to continue in this work. They continued for 12 years to build this city. As we're going to see later on in the, in the book, it comes to, close to war several times. But they continued on in the work. They continued to build the city, even though that their, their lives were at risk. Because they believed in what God was doing there. They believed in God's restoration of their city. So when God invites us to rebuild, we must prepare for that. We must unite as one people and we must stand firm, stand strong in the fact that God is for us. Just as Nehemiah made a call to his people, I want to make a call to you today. In 17, he says, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruin." with its gates burned to the ground. You all see the trouble we're in. You all see the issues that are here. We barely have enough money to keep the lights on. People have a hard time staying. Our, our average attendance is somewhere around 40, which is up, and it's amazing to see that. To see more people become a part of this church. We live in a neighborhood who largely doesn't know Christ. Young families, children, who don't know the love of Christ. We live in a city where it's normal on the weekends to have 10 or 20 deaths. This is the reality. I don't say this as a fear factor, as a guilt. Um, I just say it as the reality that we live in today. That there's a large portion of our city, of our neighborhood, who doesn't know the love of God. 
We want to be that people. That lighthouse to this city. And that means rebuilding first our church, that means our people, and that means building our city. If you don't know how you can be involved here specifically, there's loads of ways. And even if one of the ways that we offer, such as the Tuesday night women's group, next Thursdays we're going to start men's groups. Um, we're going to have a meeting, I think, in a couple weeks about worship, if you'd like to be a part of that. Children's ministry. There's a rummage sale in a couple weeks. Get rid of your junk. Serve the, and get offer to the church so that we can fix the roof and all of the issues with the building and fund the ministries that we want to do to be that beacon of light. Even if you don't know what you can do, don't know what you want to do, God uses everybody. Nehemiah used everybody. When he chose the priests, the nobles, all of the people who were going to do the work, that means children, adults, married, single, wiser, younger. God uses all people and whatever you can do. So if you don't know what you can do to be a part of this rebuilding, come talk to us. Come talk to me. Come talk to Tim. Come talk to any of the leaders here. We'll find a way to use your talents, your abilities, your materials, whatever you have to offer the church to build this place, to build this beacon of light to this world, to this neighborhood that we're trying so desperately to reach, to show the love of Christ to. So I'm calling you in this next week, in the next couple weeks, to be courageous, to be determined to be a part of a work here that's going to change lives. To share the gospel with those who need it. To build up this body of Christ to mature faith. One of the incredible things is how, how quickly they respond. It wasn't like Nehemiah says, all right, let's go rebuild. And they're like, well, let's, we'll think about it. <laughs> no, he laid out the facts. He said, here's what, here's what we need to do. And then they said, all right, let's do it. They grabbed hands, they strengthened for the work, and they're like, let's build. So I, I'm calling all of you, all of us, to find out where we can make a difference, where we can be a bricklayer. What do we have to offer? Because I know you do. You all have something to offer. Because you are all incredibly unique people. Blessed by God in various ways. To bless this church. To bless His people. To glorify God to the world. So this week, be praying about. Be thinking through. What can I do? If there's ever been a moment where you're like, I, I thought about it once, and then I didn't. <laughs> Revisit that thought. Go talk to somebody who's in charge of whatever part of the church that is. If there's not a part of a church that does what you're thinking about, we'll figure out a way. Because we want to build here. We want to build a wall. A wall that, that shows the, the light of Christ to this neighborhood. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the people who are here right now. The people that you've called together to be one body. 
The people you've called together to be a light, to be a joy to this world. Thank you that we can be a part of this for giving us the wisdom and the leadership of Tim and the elders. Lord, I pray that You would encourage us. That You would give us boldness to move forward in serving You. In building Your church. In building this priesthood of believers. Lord, we love You and we praise You. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.